So, Bob, let's try to actually answer all those questions people submitted over that survey that was sent out a few weeks ago. What do you say? I love it. Your eyes are bigger than your question list. Let's do it. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. I am your friend from graduate school and also a therapist in practice here in Seattle. Let's see how it goes. I'm going to give us one minute on this one, Bob. Chloe wants to know, why are you an awesome therapist? Oh, no. Chloe just says, Bob, you're an awesome therapist. Oh, thank you, Chloe. That's all Chloe says. I can get in under a minute on that one. Deidre says, how do I healthily recover from betrayal trauma? One minute, Bob, go. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think it's okay to be prepared for that to haunt you for a while. Um, you'll get into another relationship, I hope, and somebody decent who doesn't um, you know, betray you, I hope, and likely to be triggered. I know I got triggered years after a betrayal. I got triggered by something that happened between me and Colleen innocent she didn't betray me it was just she was actually just going to yoga and it for some reason betray it triggered off my betrayal blah 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 um so it's gonna happen and it's okay uh having a partner understand it is probably really useful um doesn't mean anything about the partner just just sometimes it happens and i my guess is over time um with successful just like some care about that as it goes you'll be all right. you'll be all right it'll it'll settle it'll settle enough it'll mm-hmm. settle enough mm-hmm. yeah uh, i would add to that by saying the two pillars to change in one's personality is awareness and corrective experiences awareness involves becoming more aware of it knowing your schemas knowing where it comes from emotional regulation, knowing your triggers, knowing the things that will cause betrayal trauma, knowing how your thoughts will become distorted, having some way of cognitively reacting against that, having tried and true emotional regulation techniques, how to talk about that with your partner, raise awareness between the two of you so you can have a language to talk about it. Your partner could even avoid triggering you through various different things. Um, And then corrective experiences, which is having actual non-betrayal relationships over time and highlighting that for yourself so that you can internalize that and then you won't feel triggered as much anymore. Um, You know, that's my general answer to a lot of questions along these lines. People will say like, how do I change this? How do I change that? And generally speaking, that's what you got to do. And as Bob says, uh, part of that is acceptance because it'll, it's not going to change anytime soon. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, patron Tessa says, I just want to thank you, Bob, for answering my question so openly a few weeks ago. I had asked Bob about being verbally abusive in your past. And so thank you for answering that question. I also agree with what Dr. Kirk said. Thanks again. And I appreciate all you guys do for us listeners. Smiley face. Ah, well, you're welcome. Thank you. Patron Tessa. Kristen says, can you tell us more about what it looks like to be emotionally distant? Bob, what do you think? Sure. Um, Sort of flat, sort of shut down, sort of locked away. Um, Don't speak what you want. Don't speak how I feel, um, what I need. Um, I'd say those are probably the hallmarks. So, like, if I'm annoyed, I keep it to myself. If I'm joyous i keep it to myself if i'm horny i keep it to myself those are all emotionally distant kind of ways to be and um really what i think of emotional distance i think it's when the insides and the outsides don't match yeah it could mean a lot of different things hard to know what kristen was wanting from us but in terms of what i think it could come from it could come from actual distance meaning that the person is actually distant or it could just mean that you just want to be closer than they want to be close to you so Ah, that's a lot of yep 
preoccupation, this kind of thing. Of course, if it is actual distance, they could be socialized in a way that is distance. They right. could also be so- socialized in a way to express emotion differently than you're picking up on. People right, right. also are shamed regarding emotion. So all of us are shamed regarding emotion. It's just a matter of degree and will mask our emotions because of that. Also, if you're abused, when you show emotion, you will uh, shut down neurologically to some extent, or at least your affect will become flat. There's also avoidant attachment style. There's a lot of different reasons. All right. Joy says, no question. I just want to say I love the relationship between you and Bob and how you guys are able to be vulnerable with one another and support one another and talk about your relationship with one another so openly. Thank you. Thank yeah, that's that. pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, Hapa patron Ren, Hapa meaning half Asian like myself, says, for Bob, I definitely deal with butler syndrome. Uh-huh. And while changing my patterns, there's a bit of a tiff that has come up with one of my best friends of 20 plus years. Uh-huh. And the discomfort is incredibly hard to tolerate. Mm-hmm. And I find myself wanting to do whatever it takes to get on our good side or make the discomfort go away. How do you deal with the discomfort that comes with the inevitable conflict and tension that may arise between long-time close friends? In my recent situation with the tiff with my friend, I know I didn't do anything wrong, and yet my butler urges are really kicking in. Bob, what do you think? Well, there's a I'll pos- give you two minutes on this one, Bob, because this get- one seems a little bit more detailed. Oh, well, okay, let's see how let's see how this goes. There's always the possibility of just simply describing the current event. So when you notice that that intense urge to, you know, cave in and butlerize or become a butler, um, you can describe it. You can describe what you're feeling. You can describe the urge. You can describe it to yourself. You could describe it to your friend and, um, you know, uh, I guess if you describe it to your friend, maybe maybe you'd want your friend to be supportive of you and not butlering, or or maybe you just want them to know about it, just so that they know about it, um, so that you're not in it alone, or that you have a place to kind of like just I don't know, yeah. park it. No, I like that because not to take away from your two minutes, no, but well. um, I think that is the solution to a lot of things like this to just vocalize it, especially yeah. if you're best friends for 20 plus years i mean you should be able to say something and i think 50 plus percent can be dissipated just by just by vocalizing it to the person of concern yeah yeah well what do you do bob oh god i don't know i probably keep it to myself a lot you know it depends like i think i'm less likely to keep it to myself with colleen um and more likely to keep it to myself with other people even even people i'm close to like me no not you (laughs) (laughs) um because because of the very reason that the person said is is this old old habit dies hard and um kind of wants to do what it wants to do i um i uh did i tell you i stopped my writing class i might have mentioned that maybe i knew that you were declining in motivation Motivation, increasing in self-consciousness well what i noticed um i I I let the class know. I told my teacher in my class uh, a couple weeks ago, and I noticed afterwards I had this like hangover from it. Like I felt sad all day. I felt like I had done a bad thing, even though it was actually what I wanted to do. Um, let's see. Why am I bringing this up? Well, it was based on what schema for you. Oh, it was reemerging after yeah, getting back don't, from Italy. Don't disappoint the teacher. 
Oh, what, don't, oh, don't this, disappoint. Oh, we're talking about uh, something more general than than that. Um, coming back from Italy. Well, because in Italy you had this liberation, yeah. yeah, that you had worked hard, even in Italy, to achieve, and when you got back, you had some residual freedom. Yeah, that's and, nice. And you know, some, euphoria really. Some, yeah, and you told me over time that it was going away. Yeah. You were returning to baseline. Right. So what is that baseline exactly? Well, my teacher says it's fear, so it's probably fear. Um, you know, Italy was like this. It was like group therapy all day long for over a week because we were in class. It's pretty intensive stuff. It's not academic, you know, oh, should I write a story? It was like really um, a lot of personal discovery and, and um, personal sharing. So sort of in it with the, in the trenches with the other writers and um, um, it was relentless. I mean, I remember being in Italy and thinking, I don't want to, I don't want to go to this class or I just don't want to have to talk to anybody, but you know, that's the deal. It's what you do. So that's what you did. So that's what we did. And what I did um, is another immersion in, you know, just even just dinner. Like we're all just hanging out, having dinner. Like it is constant, just a constant um, immersion. Mm-hmm. So, then no- normally, baseline, you're a pretty home body sort of person. Yeah. I mean, I'm I am too, but, and, yeah. but you might socialize, you know, every now and then. Yeah, re- yeah, not not as often. Certainly not as often as that as a daily for several several hours. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm 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 more introverted and and um, than that. So yeah, so um, but um, I I think the the revert the reverting is you know kind of like it was it's predictable. I don't I didn't predict because I didn't know what was going to happen. But in retrospect, it really makes sense that that would be the case. I ain't saying it's good. It's not, but it is it is. Um, Probably about what I would expect if I. Well, what are you reverting to? You say it's probably fear. Probably fear. Yeah. What fear of what? Yeah, that's a really good question. I don't really know. My teacher said something fascinating to me. He said, "Bob, it's probably fear, even though it doesn't feel like fear." And he's right; it doesn't feel like fear, as I understand. What does it feel like? Just like demotivation. It feels like flattening. It feels like just I don't really want to do that. I don't want to do that. Don't you like, don't want to do what? Right. You don't want to do what though exactly? R- right. Oh, you, oh yeah. <laughs> you don't want to write. Yeah. yeah. And you also don't want to go to class. I don't. I don't want to go to class. Both of those things you don't want to do. Yeah, that's right. And uh, so really gracious about it. He's like basically come back anytime, space permitting. You're welcome to rejoin us. Yeah. Maybe I will. And it doesn't feel like just a regular cycle of being not into something. It feels. I I don't know. Because it could just be you're just not into writing this month or yeah, something. Yeah, it could be, yeah. I, I don't know. It could be. But I think it's probably is like um, some kind of rebound, some kind of, what do they call it? Rebound thing or something. I don't know what they call that. You know, like when you take Remission? a drug. No, no. What's what's that thing you get? If you take a drug for a long time and then you stop it and then the, like say if it's an anxious drug, then your anxiety spikes when you... Mm-hmm. Whatever that is. Yeah, rebound. Rebound, okay, yeah. So I, I think it's probably something like that. I don't really know what's going to happen. Uh, spending a lot of time in the garage. Mm-hmm. 
Stacy said she saw you at Home Depot yesterday. Home Depot. Yep. Yeah. Washers yesterday at Home Depot. Yeah. Not the clothes washers, little little discs yeah. washers. I would imagine for you it could be if I were to take a guess, but it's really because I could see it being just a diminishing temporary diminishing in your motivation to write. I mean yeah. that happens sometimes. Yeah. It could. Do you feel depressed? I don't feel great, but no, I wouldn't say I feel depressed. No. Do you feel? Did something happen writing wise or in the group? No. When you think about going to group the class, because it's online, right? Right. Yeah. Saturdays. When you think about doing that, do you feel anything other than just like not into writing? A bit of dread. Like um, what? And a, what was? What's the body dreading? Um, you in the class, you you generally have to share something that you've been writing or working on, and you haven't been doing anything. I haven't been doing anything, so I don't have anything to share. So you're dreading having to admit that you haven't been writing. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, one of the things that'll happen is I'll put it off. So I'll say, oh well, you know, okay, I'll write tomorrow, mm-hmm. but then I don't write tomorrow, and I think, oh yeah, you know, I'll write. Tomorrow. I still have a couple of days left before class. I can, you know, that sort of procrastination has worked so well through graduate school. Um, <laughs> you turn stuff in on time though yeah yeah but I always put it off till the last minute oh really yeah well if we go with the butler syndrome thing which is what topic we're on and sure. this is what emerged for you so could be related that you are losing touch with yourself yeah and thus when you plan your day or the next hour of your life it doesn't occur to you to even listen to what you want it is such a fucking effort to have to do that. I mean, I get it. I get I get that it's essential. I mean, you know, we're all temping here. So what do I'm 55, maybe I have 30 years, maybe maybe less, who knows. Um uh we're all temping and there is the illusion of infinite time and the sense that it's just work to speak or to be introspective. Like, I got therapy tomorrow at 9. Today's Monday. Tomorrow at 9, I have therapy, and I'm dreading going. And my, he's good. He's a really good guy, right? And it's the same every week. And I'm actually I'm just talking with him about the dread. And that's, I, that's interesting. Um, um, but it's constant, and nothing seems to shake it. So I... I'm going to go and I'm going to talk about that. And I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know what's going to happen. I think it's the right thing to do. But um, I, do, you, do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like um, that having to speak what you feel or say what you want is is like effort? I can relate to therapy being a dreaded thing. <laughs> Not usually though but the other part of it of writing for you this i can't relate to that Uh yeah Uh, right i know because for you you it's the look on your face it was so it was so so much pain when i said for you to write you would have to actually focus on yourself and and focus on what you want and you just had this look on your face of just like ugh, 
you know, it's so wearisome. It's so so yeah. much yeah. work. It's so hard. It's so grueling. It's. It, I mean, so what is that when you when you? What's that face mean? Is it like painful to have to concentrate on yourself? Yeah. How so? Painful. I, that's. I don't. It's not like I actually feel like running pain. a marathon kind of a thing. Like a yeah, lot of mental like a effort. A lot of effort and. And, you know, at the end, like, what do you get for it? Like, so you ran a marathon, big deal, you know? Um, though that is a big deal. You know, that's a hell of an accomplishment, like a life thing. Um, but but it seems like so endless. Like, sure, I could pay attention to that this hour, and then next hour's going to come, and then the next one, and the next one, and who knows what's going to come up. Maybe I'll be talking to my mother or something, and oh, that's hard. And... um or somebody else and there there's this thing that I either I feel that I don't speak or I want or I don't say or need or something and it just it's like oh wow I just want to go into my garage and mm-hmm. not have to talk to nobody it's easier to not yeah feels easier to not yeah probably is easier to not sounds depressed a little bit Bob I'll tell it you does, it does sound a little depressed um two I I'm reminded of when you came back from Italy and it wasn't work. No, no, it was fascinating and interesting, you exciting. Didn't, didn't know where it was going to go. Yeah. Eight weeks after coming back, you yeah. didn't have, it wasn't work. You didn't have no. to try. It just, yeah. It just felt right. It felt good. Felt good. Yeah. And I would conceptualize that as because you had the corrective experience yeah. or the forced experience right it pushed something aside that is a comfortable little linus blanket and you realized you don't need it it's actually better without it yeah that's true and over time though with the onslaught of attachment injury and distance it's easier to shell up like a turtle. Yeah. And then everything goes away. Yeah, like the path. That's the path of least resistance. Yeah. I remember being in Italy, and um, I remember thinking, I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth, but it'll probably be okay. I mean, that's the way you, you, you were when you came back. I mean, writing is just a barometer. It's not the right. thing. Yeah. It just shows you you know what state you're in it's yeah. a symptom of being connected with yourself yeah so it's not writing you know who really cares the, the bigger issue is being connected with yourself and mm. living in your life and body and space yeah you without being asked read a bunch of your book to us at a party one time. Oh yeah, yeah, four pages. Yeah, it was fun. It was beautiful. That was that was right after we got back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk about taking up space. We didn't ask you to do it. That's right. I, you didn't ask. I said, "Can I read you this?" And you guys all said, "Yeah." And you did. And it was fun. And yeah. it was a lot of space. It, you know, it took yeah forty-five 15. plus minutes or something. Yeah. It, I mean, not of the reading, but of the reading so and talking the talking about it. And yeah. Uh-huh. All focus was on you. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that I would do that now. It, like, it wouldn't occur to me to do that now, and I wouldn't have that kind of 
oomph. Yeah. Yeah. I would guess, though, that the solution is not to, quote unquote, work to white knuckle or to willpower your way down the path. No. It, it would be the experience. You, you have to have the group therapy experience. Yeah. That's hard to achieve, but. Right. My therapist invited me to join one of his groups, his mm. men's group. Really? Yeah. He has a group. Two. Wow. Yeah, you know, not too many of us do that nowadays. Yeah. I saw on Reddit, one of the subreddits, someone asked a question as to why therapists don't have groups or don't like groups. Mm. And I wanted to chime in, but I avoid commenting on Reddit because things usually go bad for me, even though I'm trying to do good. But mm. what I would say to that question is that it is a massive pain in the ass to get and sustain a group. It does require, yeah. It's extremely professionally gratifying mm -hmm. in my experience for those who are interested in that work to actually spend the 90 minutes with every group. Right. It's also harder work, way more intense. Mm -hmm. I mean, even with what you were doing with dbt classes not group therapy sure that's right not group therapy the amount of mental effort you have to put in everything I mean, there's just so many there's so much more chaos but not only that but it's often not covered group therapy right. by insurance so you have to charge which means you can't charge a lot which means you probably aren't getting paid commensurate with how much stress and time it takes mm. to prep and all that kind of stuff so uh it's hard uh also the average therapist that I've worked with that tries to get a group going, it doesn't fill up. Mm -hmm. you, know, they, you know, they'll, they work really hard to get the word out. They advertise it. They get like one or two people signing up and that's not really a group no. of course. And so that peters out basically yeah. into individual therapy. And, right. and then three years later after beating their head against a the wall, they just give up. Right. So anyway, that's my answer to that question. But, I think given what you're saying, and I don't know your situation, but I think um, it would be a pretty easy, quick path to getting back on mm. track. Yeah. Because I'm thinking like, you can't go to Italy every month. <laughs> That's what I said to my teacher. I'm like, I just got to live in Italy and you have to come with. He's yeah. like, oh, I'll do that. Yeah. Yeah. And he's not in Seattle. No, no. So you can't even, you can't do that. No. Uh, I suppose there's a potentially another writer's group in Seattle, but, Ooh, yeah, probably but what's the chance that it will produce the same emotional field that that one, I would say pretty low, honestly. Pretty low. I think my teacher's special. Yeah. Yeah. So your therapist inviting you to a group, I think that would be tremendous. It's a pot. There's a possibility it won't really hit on that because it's not writer focused. But, mm. but it. But I think I'm going to take a guess and say 95 percent of. In fact, it could be more effective, obviously, yeah, because right. it's an actual therapy group, therapy and not group. a writer's group. Right. Yeah. Especially if you went every week. Yeah. In addition to individual therapy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but remember, Bob, when you're in this state, it feels like work, but when you experience it it releases the barrier and thus it actually isn't work. Isn't it's work, it, it's inertia.
But once Inertia, you get the ball right. rolling down the hill, you just have to sit back and let it roll. Good word for it. Inertia. Yeah. Because you were not working to roll that ball down the hill when no. you got back from Italy. Yeah. It was just rolling. It just That's right. That's right. And you were the happiest I've ever seen you. Really? Yeah. Wouldn't mm. you say? Yeah, I guess so. That makes you sad to think about? Yeah. Because you're not happy now? Yeah, now it's a little harder, yeah. Yeah. I care about you deeply, obviously. And Thanks. it was glorious to see you happy. I mean, normally when you're in your cruising speed, you're not exhibiting unhappiness. You're not like a bummer or anything. Yeah. But to see you like a child, really, <laughs> uh, a, a kid who in a candy store sort of... Um, Starry-eyed and optimistic and mm. and narcissistic in a good way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Self-centered, mm -hmm. self-interested, self-expressing, self-loving, self-enjoying, world-enjoying. Yeah. Creative, dynamic, and seeing it too. You know, it wasn't lost on you that it was different, and so. When you're cruising speed, like now, you're not, you don't bring me down. You're very, you know, you're great to be around. Thanks. So there's nothing bad about it, but yeah. to see that other mode that, that you were in is, um, I mean, you know, just made me happy to see you like that. Mm -hmm. Thanks. It felt to me like, I don't know the word for it, but like fluid or... Like, I could depend on you. That's interesting. I could depend on you to do what's necessary for yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah. That has meaning to you? Huh? That has meaning to you? Well, it means I don't have to worry <laughs> about you as much. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Because I, I could depend on you to think about you. I don't mind worrying about you, but... No, I, I get that, yeah. I was like, oh, well, I, I can relax a little bit. Right. Which makes me want to cry a bit. be interesting if uh, that person that wrote in with the Butler Syndrome, if maybe their friend has a similar experience, where when they speak up, maybe it's maybe in the immediate it is more conflicted, but maybe it also really helps, because that other person don't have to guess, yeah. didn't have to think about it knows that where I, where I stand is indeed where I stand. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think of myself as burdensome, but I don't think of myself as particularly existent. So when you tell me that that is your experience of me, it's a bit of a surprise. It's not, it's not like, I mean, it's, it's, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, I don't often, I don't often, I don't think about things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Huh. You know, we ran into St Stacy yesterday at the Home Depot. We just mentioned that 20 minutes ago on the podcast. Did we? <laughs> yes. Oh, golly. Where's my head? <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, she was walking in. We were just, she was walking in the door and we were, we were walking down the thing there, the aisle or whatever, and stood and chatted for a little while. And let's see, the reason it came to mind just now is because 
I have no idea what Stacy sees when she sees me. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what that's like. Yeah, so let me turn the screw a little bit further, Bob, in that saying, if you go to group therapy, it'll be good content for the podcast. Well, heck. So it could be considered part of your job at this point. <laughs> and you don't want to disappoint me no, or no, the listeners. No. Golly, no. With the next time we talk and you're just like, nope, haven't gone to group therapy. So I have... <laughs> I have literally nothing to offer the podcast at this point. <laughs> I mean, who knows? You know, maybe it would be worthless or something, but uh, I could see it being incredible, actually. Yeah. It would take a while to yeah, get used yeah. to it. Acclimate and, you know, but they, those group those group therapy dynamics, you know. Yeah, there's to, always someone that's going to annoy you. And forming, the, storming, norming, and working, I think is what they call it. Is that a Yalom thing? No, it's a Sandra Wood thing. Oh. And, yeah, I mean, because if I thought, Bob, there was another way to get you back to yourself, yeah, I would list it. But I, unless you can think of anything, I, I can't think of another way. Because like it's like you're saying about corrective experiences. Yeah, you have... Well, it, there's corrective experiences and then there's experiential experiences right yeah which i guess we could put it in a similar category but right. to me it's a little bit different in that you have to go through an ongoing experience to connect you and to prove to you i guess it would be a corrective experience in that way but yeah right but it's i think it's even uh, aside from that the experience of forcing you to be in your body and yourself or something. I don't know how to phrase it, but the forcing you to let your barrier down, I guess, yeah, and right. realize that, oh, it is safe to do this. Right. And you need that ongoing. Yeah. Because I remember when you got back from Italy, almost immediately you were saying, I'm pretty sure this is going to go away. <laughs> But I also remember thinking, well, maybe it won't. Yeah, right. Because once you live in that world and realize that it's better and you get those neurons connected, it, maybe it would stay. But because when did you get back? How long? Like uh, 4th four? of June. What? 4th of June. So three months, three and a half months. Yeah. So it took three and a half months to fully revert. Yeah. That's relatively quick, you know, meaning that you can't depend on one of these retreats every year, right? It's, it seems no. like it's got to be pretty yeah. frequent. Uh, yeah. Something experiential that will make you. Right. You know. I get little hints of that in the class. You know, reminders of, I don't know what to call it, reminders. Being in yourself. Yeah. 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 Let's take a break, Bob. Yep. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a new year, so of course it's time for New Year's resolutions. But often, those are just manifestations of internalized harmful voices. Voices that tell us we're not good enough. So instead of making a resolution to change something, let's recognize that we are already good enough. Now most people think of therapy as a place for us to work on our problems. 
but there are several schools of thought within the field of psychotherapy that adamantly reject that paradigm, like narrative therapy and solution-focused. Instead, these clinicians help us focus on what we're already doing well. And by helping us do that, data shows that we often will gravitate towards more beneficial patterns. Well, one place you can find such therapists is on BetterHelp. If you're thinking of starting therapy, it's definitely worth giving a try. So celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Kirk today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Kirk. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. All right, let's do an OPP, Bob. So I want to remind everyone that we give money out to charity. If you're a patron, a portion of your money goes towards various charities and scholarships and art grants. Um, We just gave out a $3,000 scholarship to someone who is just a great candidate. That's cool. And a $1,000 Art grant to someone. You can go to our Instagram and our website to find out more information about that. But we also give money to Pet Finder, Plymouth Housing Group, Camp Ten Trees, Trevor Project, Special Olympics, National Alliance on Mental Illness, Animal Aid and Rescue Foundation, Prevent Child Abuse America, Animals Lebanon, Environmental Defense Fund, Asian American Legal Defense and Education Fund, Wikipedia, and Doctors Without Borders. I feel like money to Wikipedia is important because, oh yeah, and especially in today's misinformation, oh, yeah, even though it's not perfect, no, but it is one of the best things we have. You yeah. Know? So these people became patrons all the way back in June of 2020, so wow. over two years ago, and have stayed patrons ever since. We have Megan, we got Coke, we have Kira. We have Christine. We have May, another Megan. We have Olia. We have Lethargic Rabbit. Hmm. We have we have another Megan, but this one is from Santa Ana. We have Mia and RM, and all those people are from God knows well, aside from the third Megan. We have Ron from Aurora, Ohio. Brian from Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. Moose wow. Jaw, Saskatchewan. Suzette from Albuquerque. Rachel from San Leandro, California. Hmm. Zosha from Warsaw, Poland. Wow. Ellie from San Jose, California. Zosha, I'm pretty sure I know her. Robin from Tacoma. Wow. Near Seattle. We got Matthew from Honolulu. Tammy from State College, Pennsylvania. Hey, that's right. That's where I used to live. You used to live there? Yeah, great town. They're up a tier patron. Right on. Is Penn State in State College? Yeah, wearing my sweatshirt. What an interesting name. It's, It's a silly name for a town, isn't it? Well, it's so coincidental that there would both be a state college uh-huh. in State College, Pennsylvania. Like, like, what are the odds? Oh, no, no. It's on purpose. I know. I'm joking. Oh, okay. That's irony. Uh, Bob. I Whitney that is from Portland, Oregon. Uh, Caitlin is another Saskatchewan from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. I mean, how, wow. how weird is it? We have two Saskatchewans. You're very popular in Saskatchewan. Uh, Gary from Olney, Great Britain, and Lori from Cambridge, Mass. Um, 
I've been to Saskatchewan. I went on a road trip there. Really? And stayed there for a while. It's it's um, it's beautiful. Uh, there's no trees. It's very plainsy. Really? And uh, very farmy <laughs> and desolate. There's not a lot of people out there, but it's very peaceful and nice. Wow. Uh, listener Layla says, what was your first impression of each other when you met in graduate school? Bob, I'll give you a minute on this one. Uh, let's see. Um, the first thing you said, I probably have told this before, is my name's Kirk, and I'm in a band just like everybody else my age, and I was not in a band. So I thought, oh, kind of intimidating because I'm not in a band. <laughs> and you had buzz cut, and I found out soon that you cut your own hair. I always thought that was really kind of cool. And then we just kind of hung out, but we hung out through, we, like with Nanette and Laura, and I think we were both sort of more attached to them than to one another at the beginning. Oh, really? Huh. I mean, if, I, I take, I'll take your word for yeah, it. Yeah, maybe that's not true. But I remember when our first night when we, uh, just two of us hung out, I remember like, yeah, okay, this is cool. And also, I don't know if we have much in common or if you're going to have any interest in talking to me. I'm kind of boring. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was fun though. I remember sitting at the sit and spin having a beer. It was good. My impression of you, I've talked about this before, yeah. was someone that knew the lay of the land of psychology and psychotherapy counseling yeah. much more than I did. You were older, which meant more back then. Sure, those, those days, yeah. Yeah, because I was 24, you were 28. 28. Georgie says, do you have any tips on maintaining healthy boundaries with an aging and ill parent? Mm. I live far away from my family of origin by design, and my siblings are pretty enmeshed with our mother. My mom is battling cancer and crossing the boundaries I have had in place for years, and I can feel myself falling into her orbit again. She does need help, and I want to help, but I am concerned about the influence and control she's trying to assert over me, and I feel myself getting tense and resentful. The advice I'm getting from friends is either go no contact or the opposite, do everything you can for your mother. And I don't think either of those paths are healthy. Hmm. Bob it has talked on the podcast before about his relationship with his father and his mother, so I'm curious on his approach to these types of delicate situations. Bob, what do you think? Yeah, it is, isn't it? Well, I'm going to say what I think you should do, but I'm not saying it's easy. Um, and I think it makes sense to be clear about what it is that, what what kind of support what it wants to look like given the geography since you live far away um and then stick to that as best you can i think there's some things that are unpredictable you know like illnesses the way they kind of shift or whatever so whatever you come up with you're probably going to want to have some flexibility about because your circumstance is going to shift as um, her illness progresses yeah um and you're not on this earth to be popular so saying no it's okay it's not easy but it's okay and it might be useful to prepare like if like uh let's see i can't imagine a circumstance that would come up for you so i'm just gonna i guess i'm gonna wing this if it let's say they want you to come home um to support in some way you get to decide whether or not that fits for you how it fits you know because it has um different there can be different things that happen to you as a result of having to travel you know maybe it affects your work maybe it affects your wallet um 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 you know the the amount of paid time off you get um because it's going to be different for you than it is for the your sibs that live nearby so so 
um, knowing what your limit is, not easy to do, but you're actually, you already know what your limit is. You're saying it's somewhere between what some of your friends suggest and what some of your other friends suggest. It's somewhere in between. And I actually kind of like that that's the case for you because um, you know what doesn't work. And it's hard to hard to know your limits till they're crossed. So you're you're already you're already playing with that and trying to figure it out. Anyways, um, it might be good to rehearse what you want to say when you want to say no ahead of time. It doesn't need to be emotional, and it's okay if other people are upset or bothered by it because their limit is going to be different from yours. That's probably the best thing I could say about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would just basically re- reiterate that by saying that. When you ask for advice from people, typically along these lines and many lines like this, they will have very bad advice, as you are realizing. People say, just go no contact, as if that's just easy to do. Mm. Just be like, oh, okay, yeah, that, I'll just cut off contact right. with my my mom who's battling cancer. I mean, that, right. that feels fine to me. Uh, the other thing that I'll say is that you're forced by others to choose the lesser of number a number of evils. So looking for some perfect situation without any pain is impossible. Yeah. So just reiterating what, what Bob is saying is that you have every right to assert what you want to do here. And that is, and no matter what you do, someone is going to lose. Yeah. So it might as well be other people because they're being unreasonable. It shouldn't be you is the point. You are a child, I'm guessing, of abuse, and though, and, and so you deserve to protect yourself. You know, in your head, you can just be like, "I know I'm pissing everyone off and I'm hurting their feelings, but I need to do this to protect myself, and I deserve it." I was imposed upon when I was younger; I had no control. I do have control now. I know it's bothering them. I know it's hurting them, but that them's the breaks. You should have raised me better. So. You keep just saying that to yourself, you know, and uh, and if they don't like it, like Bob says, you're not on this planet to be popular. So screw them. Get <laughs> you know support. I mean? Yeah. Uh, listener Layla has another question here. Is Bob willing to share how Colleen is enjoying retirement? I remember he explained what a big and difficult move it was for her. And I'm curious how she is doing. Um, One minute. Yeah. Okay. Um. There's some parts of it she really likes. There's some parts of it that are um, pretty anxious for. We're working out the division of labor at home. I'm really glad we're talking about that. We need to talk about that. Um, I don't have the expectation that because she's not working, she's going to do all the domestic shit. I don't think that's. I don't. I don't get that. I don't see why that would be. Um, but so so I think that that's a work in progress. Like figuring out well, what does that want to be, and you know, they, they, um, uh, it's provocative in ways that I suppose she couldn't have predicted. And she likes how her time is not scheduled or not by not demanded by of other people, though having the freedom is, you know, like it's later like, um, I think there's a certain amount of disbelief and a question about whether or not it's, she deserves to, you know, make herself happy or whatever. Hmm. So the other day, she's on the couch in the middle of the day. I come out of my office in between sessions to go pee or something, and she's sitting on the couch, and she's watching her show. So I, I walk over, and I kiss her on the forehead, and I say, safe. Just one word, safe. And she looks up, and she says, oh, thank you. 
I think it's just easy to forget that everything's okay. It's just easy to forget. Meaning that you predicted she would feel unsafe by just chilling, chilling. and not being productive. That's productive. Oh, yes. We must be productive. Yeah, it's so important. That you would be angry at her or something. Yeah. 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 Old habits and all. So overall, I'd say, yep, she's digging it. All right. Let's take a break and more questions after that. What do you say, Bob? Yep. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a new year, so of course it's time for New Year's resolutions. But often, those are just manifestations of internalized harmful voices, voices that tell us we're not good enough. So instead of making a resolution to change something, let's recognize that we are already good enough. Now, most people think of therapy as a place for us to work on our problems. But there are several schools of thought within the field of psychotherapy that adamantly reject that paradigm, like narrative therapy and solution-focused. Instead, these clinicians help us focus on what we're already doing well. And by helping us do that, data shows that we often will gravitate towards more beneficial patterns. Well, one place you can find such therapists is on BetterHelp. If you're thinking of starting therapy, it's definitely worth giving a try. So, celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Kirk today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Kirk. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. All right, back from the break. Next question. Listener from Finland has a question that I will field because I'm guessing you don't know a lot about Tourette syndrome and, and tics and stuff. Not much, no. So they say, I'm curious about tic symptoms. According to most literature, tics are part of Tourette's, but there are people who have tics but don't otherwise qualify as a Tourette's person. What is your take on this? I'm one of these people. I'd also like to add that I don't have vocal tics and I can control my motor tics pretty well in social situations, but they are there in every muscle. It's tiring sometimes. End of question. Yeah, first off, tics and Tourette's can be pretty difficult. The, the main issue for us, though, is we need to lower the stigmatization around it and allow people with these... Uh, issues to just have those issues. If there wasn't any stigma around it and everyone around you understood what it was and were cool with it, then it would just be a little thing you did every once in a while, a little, little habit. But because of the stigmatization and the phobia that people have about it, it forces people with tics and Tourette's to try to suppress it or to avoid doing anything that would expose this sort of thing. So, you know, cause it's, there's nothing inherently harmful about Tourette's or ticks. There's, there's just, it's just, it's a non-issue, you know? So uh, we need to change our society. And when P and we're doing it little by little there, there's a, a young woman on TikTok who actually will make videos and talk about various things, including her tics and Tourette's, and will display what it's like. And she, and she has these little movements or little vocalizations that she will say, 
she's not shy about it. She, she just said, you know, she's like, this is the way that it is. And when you see videos like that, it lowers the fear. You know, there's a panic essentially. Cause when you see that people associate that with being quote unquote insane, unstable, and as if you're going to haul off and kill someone because you're having ticks or something. Literally people will see that on the street and think some, that person's going to kill someone. Oh, or yeah. Right. Like they're going to be dangerous. They're going to be violent. Or, yeah. And it's just like, no. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So, uh, this is from DSM five TR. There are two disorders that you're referring to. Listener from Finland is the Tourette syndrome and also motor or vocal tick disorder, persistent chronic motor or vocal tick disorder. So with Tourette's, with Tourette, um, to be diagnosed with Tourette syndrome, person must have two or more motor tics, for example, blinking or shrugging the shoulder. So you, you have to have two or more motor movement tics and at least one vocal tic, for example, humming, clearing the throat, yelling out a word or phrase. Although these individuals are, uh, might not always have these things happening at the same time. So you just have to have uh, movement ticks and vocal ticks. That is Tourette. Uh, and you need to have these ticks for at least a year. The ticks cannot occur. Uh, the ticks can occur many times a day, usually in bouts nearly every day, or they can be kind of off and on, depending on what's happening, your mood, the stress level or whatever. You would have these ticks begin before the age of 18, and it's not due to taking medication or having another medical condition. So persistent chronic motor or vocal tick disorder, that's one disorder, is the person diagnosed with a persistent tick disorder, they must have one or more motor tics, for example, blinking or shrugging the shoulders, or vocal tics, for example, humming, clearing the throat, yelling a word or phrase, but not both. So that's the difference is one, you have both, the other one, you just have one or the other. It's a little confusing and it's a little uh, ridiculous because it doesn't really matter what we call it. The treatments are typically similar. So it's just a diagnostic category that I think kind of goes back to the history of how we saw these things. So that's my answer to that. Anonymous says many doctors and therapists have both diagnosed and confirmed that I struggle with generalized anxiety disorder, major depressive disorder, PTSD, and skin picking. I'm now 28 and I've been diagnosed with ADHD. This feels so overwhelming. I'm honestly shocked. Is this all connected? What in the world? Bob, what do you think? Do you understand what they're saying here? They're saying are all the things that are happening to them connected somehow? Is there sort of like one central guiding yeah. principle or something? So generalized anxiety, major depression, PTSD, skin picking, and now this new diagnosis of ADHD. How might Anonymous conceptualize this new diagnosis oh heck that's more your speed than mine i'll say this though what i've noticed about depression and anxiety is they're really linked and oftentimes it's because i've been anxious for so long i find myself depressed so i would think that maybe anxiety it's possible that anxiety is what's primary um maybe i have adhd on uh, over and above that one of the things about adhd is at least as i understand it is if the stimulants help then you know you have adhd and if they don't help then you probably don't but I think that might be a bit of a mm, bit broad brush. Mm -hmm. A little broad. What I will say is that if I had a client like this, I would conceptualize it as the following. It, of course, people could see it differently, but the way I would see it is you have PTSD, so you're traumatized. And I'm guessing that you went through some stuff growing up 
And as a result, you have reactions to that trauma, including generalized anxiety, depression, PTSD, and skin picking. So all of that, even though they're distinct diagnostic categories in the DSM, it, 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 it's just a way of languaging people's experiences. Like we could release a DSM 10 years from now that actually includes all four of these diagnoses in one category. And so thus you would just have one diagnosis. So it's not like you have four different diseases, if you will, uh, in all likelihood. It's probable that it, it all comes from the same childhood negative experiences. The ADHD could also be a part of that. But if you have actual ADHD, then it's considered to be a genetic or epigenetic condition that is maybe influenced a little bit by one's early childhood, but is really a neurological difference and thus not a, re a result of trauma. So if you had legit ADHD, which isn't always guaranteed when you're diagnosed with it, then I would say that it's separate. So you, I would if I, you know, depending on what I would find if I assessed you further, I would conceptualize you as having two issues, trauma reactivity and ADHD. You know, remember that with PTSD, anxiety is a part of that and depression can also be a part of that. And I mean, minor, de some depressive symptoms are included in PTSD and some anxiety symptoms are included in PTSD. But if you have additional full-blown symptoms, then you might get diagnosed with also generalized anxiety. If you have also full-blown depression symptoms, you might also get diagnosed with depression. Now, it's possible that you had generalized anxiety, depression before you had PTSD, and the trauma was something that happened more recently. I don't know, but that's just my thought on that. The other thing to think about is that when we have a lot of diagnoses, it can we have this notion that somehow it means you know we're like broken five times over, and that's just not philosophically accurate. It's just a way of describing what's happening to you. There are individuals who are totally functioning fine, who legitimately qualify for like 15 diagnoses. And it doesn't mean anything about their value or their functionality or how hard it will be to treat. Uh, for example, I don't know, but if I'm guessing right as to what's happening for you, treating your trauma will treat all of the issues related to your trauma and the ADHD is just something you have to adjust with workarounds, skills, and potentially medication. Anonymous says, good morning, Kirk and Bob. I am someone who is often alone. Although I would love connection and friends, I get scared by the idea of having them leave me. So in an effort to combat this pain, I avoid. I absolutely hate this about myself. I think it has something to do with being shunned from a religious group and the death of my mother, and a horrible breakup with my ex about six years ago. It was rough. I'm slowly, pulling, putting, I'm slowly putting myself out there, but the pain and fear of being burnt still lingers. I've been on a couple dates, and although it's fun, as soon as I start to think about where it will go, I get anxiety. How do I minimize these negative thoughts? Bob, what do you think? Oh, uh, well, um, I don't know how you minimize them. I guess I'm wondering, are they tolerable? Because if they're tolerable, then you probably just want to keep going and let the keeping going and having an experience of, say, if it's in the world of romance, having that go well, like, I mean, you might have to kiss a bunch of frogs, as they say. Um, so if the anxiety is tolerable, um, it's probably unavoidable. And the only way through is through. So 
you want to have a life worth living, you're probably going to have to take some chances and be willing to have anxiety. It won't kill you. It's not pleasant. Um, it's not dangerous. Um, you get to titrate it. You get to decide what the level is that you're willing to have. But you probably can't have a life worth living and avoid at the same time. Mm-hmm. And actually, I don't mean probably. I mean you cannot have a life worth living and avoid at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I will say what I said earlier, which is that my answer to these questions is some version of of awareness and corrective experiences. Yeah. Yeah. So with awareness, we would get into your automatic thoughts, your cognitions, your interpretations, your perspective, your expectations. You are about to go on a date, and what are you expecting to happen? Because if you expect too much, then you'll be disappointed. If you expect things to be horrible, then you're going to be anxious. You know, so what's your? And then if things don't go well, what's your perspective on that? Are you looking at that through a super negative lens, or are you just being like, well, you know, these ha- these things happen? Also, are you looking for connection only through online dating because that could be a dangerous game? <laughs> you know, there's lots of ways to uh, meet people, and uh, sometimes you can befriend. These, you know, you don't have chemistry with them and be like, hey, well, let's let's go to a movie or something. Uh, just an idea there. But also relaxation, getting support, and then, of course, having corrective experiences, good experiences with people that do not burn you. And that can take a long time. You know, that could literally be 10 years of a campaign that you have to go on. And you have to internalize it. You have to, when, think, when good things happen, you actually have to interpret it as such that, so that your neurology actually benefits from the corrective experience you can't just have a corrective experience you actually have to experience it and which means you have if you if you're getting in your own way of interpreting it as such you have to get out of your way on that uh one more question bob yep samuel says what is your general approach to clients who have extreme difficulty identifying or feeling their emotions i remember you both talking about the movie inside out and talking about how you can't experience joy without sadness but what do you do when a client has stopped feeling the rest of the emotions as well? I have been working on this for about two years now in therapy. It's an odd experience to feel neutral on to things when I would normally feel happy, sad, scared, angry, etc. For example, I graduated from college this summer, and I saw my favorite band at a concert, and I took a vacation I had been looking forward to, and I felt just neutral to all of it. It's like my switchboard from inside out has been shut off. Bob, what do you think? Wow, that sucks. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, I don't know. Like, if you were my client, I'd be paying attention to what's happening in this moment right now while we're talking. And, you know, the therapists, they all ask the same question. What do you feel in your body? They all ask that. Well, they ask that for a reason. It's because that's where you actually, that's where your feelings live. They're in your, your neurology. They're in your nervous system. So, so paying attention to the micro changes in what's happening in your experience in your personal counseling could be a really great way to kind of tap into how you're feeling and what's it like even to focus on it like does do you find yourself shutting down could be that it's just so darn scary to have feelings like you become sort of phobic about them but um um a corrective experience for phobia is to just kind of do the thing over and over again and um let that be the thing that helps your body settle down. That's all I got right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, the first thing I would do, Samuel, is assess why 
you have this issue and there are lots of different paths. And then once we have a good idea as to why, then we would treat that cause. So the first is the first possible hypothesis is that you're clinically depressed, you're biologically depressed. And that could either be due to biological rhythms in your body or circumstantial or something. But it, the first thing I think of when I hear of someone that is not having emotion, they're just numb. You know, it's a false notion out there that depressed people are crying all the time. And certainly some are, but the vast majority, they're not feeling anything. Yeah. It's just numbness. There's just a blankness. Yeah. And they don't enjoy anything, but they don't hate anything. Yeah. They don't laugh. They don't cry. It's just blank. So I would. that's what it sounds like to me. So I would wonder, is it depression and what's the cause of depression? And there's many causes, obviously. The other possibility is a lack of connection with yourself, which is what Bob is getting into. And, you know, what are you feeling? How are you feeling? Get into your body. Another one is that you don't have anyone to share your emotions with. And so your body just is shutting down because of that. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're in an abusive relationship currently and you're turning off your emotions because of that. Maybe you have substance abuse problems. Maybe there's a biological change. Maybe you suffer from ongoing grief and you're shutting down because of that. Maybe you have avoidant attachment. You know, there's a lot of different possibilities as to why one would notice that they don't have any emotional expressions. They don't notice their emotions. There's a lot of paths to that. And once you have a hypothesis, then, you know, you, you try to address that in the appropriate way. All right, Bob, that does it for that episode. I feel like we got a good number. Yeah. And everyone out there, please take care of yourself because you deserve it. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.